What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. The crew is with you. We're all in attendance. Richard, how are you? Hey, everyone. What's going on? It's going well. Seth, how's it going? Going good, guys. How are you doing? Doing okay. Episode 49. We're almost at a pretty good milestone here, so uh, we are discussing something special to do. Thing is hammered down yet, but we'll we'll see if we can do something uh, good for everyone, all of our listeners who have supported us thus far, and uh, we're a few things are being discussed. So uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Uh, in the meantime, we have official over the gate watch spoilers, so we are going to talk about those. Uh, so we'll just get that started. Uh, that's really the main thing on the docket today. Uh, Seth and I will discuss some financial, you know, perspective on some of these spoilers, and we have a uh, fish mail to answer. So uh, just getting right to it, uh, Richard. Uh, we all and all the crew wanted to talk about uh, some of the spoilers that we were giving uh, given officially by uh, Wizards and you know affiliated sites. Uh, so <laughs> we have, put all the disclaimers in there. They're official spoilers, guys. Yes, we, I'm throwing it all out there. I don't, you know, no room for error. So yeah, we're going to talk about some of these cards. We have two new mechanics in support and cohort that we will discuss. So let's just get right to it. The new mechanics, uh, support and cohort. So Richard, why don't you explain those to us? Okay, so support shows up on a couple of cards. We have shoulder to shoulder and Gladeheart Cavalry. And basically, you put a plus one, plus one counter on up to X target creatures. So if you have support two, you put a plus one, plus one counter on up to two creatures. If you have support six, you put a plus one, plus one counter on up to six creatures. Uh, so the card we got, uh, Gladeheart Cavalry, five generic, green, green, six, six. One Glaveheart Cavalry enters the battlefield, support six. When a creature you control with the plus one, plus one counter on it dies, you gain two life. So basically, putting more plus one, plus one counters on things. What do you guys yeah. think about this mechanic? You nailed it, Richard. Good job. Good casting cost. Uh, right there, we did it. I know the difference between <laughs> colorless and generic now. <laughs> We're good. Nice. Uh, it, it's, it's a decent ability. I mean, it's... You know, more plus one, plus one counter stuff. Seth, before the cast, was not very uh, in- enthusiastic about it. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 okay. I mean, the support cards that we have so far are not, like, not really enamored by any one of them. But, I mean, the Calvary is pretty decent, I guess. Uh, especially because you get the second ability and the, uh, you, you know, gaining life uh, when these creatures die with plus one, plus one counters on them. But, again, I mean, I, I'm not really too excited about support what about you seth i feel i feel like we get something very (laughs) similar to this mechanic every single set for like the past five years um it's fine i guess the card itself is unplayable i mean it's a seven (laughs) mana six six and how often do you have six other creatures on the battlefield and think man i really need to give these guys plus one plus one or (laughs) i'm not going to be able to win this game like that that doesn't seem like it's going to come up very often. It seems sort of win more to me. The yeah. mechanic itself is fine. I guess it, I don't know. It doesn't excite me. It's fine. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, we could, we could definitely tell you're uh, not that excited. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, whatever. It's something I have to deal with and draft. Like, you know, so real quick before we move along, Seth, it's a seven mana creature, like EDH, like, is this going in? Like, <laughs> What your expertise yeah, I'm, uh, there. I'm sure it's playable in EDH, Chaz. <laughs> It'll probably be very good in that format for some reason. Elf Knight Tribal. Come on, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and to, yeah. be, to be fair, it is an intro pack rare, so we shouldn't expect too much from it because those cards are almost always horrible. So maybe there'll be better uh, ah. cards with that mechanic in the future. Ah, Pia and Kieran Noir. But that was, like, really a dime a dozen when it comes to intro pack rares. Yeah, the exception that proves the rule. (laughs) How much better would support be, or this card, I guess, would would it be if you could stack all the counters on a single creature? I think it would be a lot better. Yeah, because yeah, currently you need to be going wide <laughs> to support yeah. this. You need to I have mean, six other creatures. A, but Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the, the other new mechanic, Cohort. Uh, so we have uh, Munda's Vanguard, four generic, one white. Uh, it's a 3-3 three, three core knight ally. So it has the keyword Cohort. So tap itself and tap an untapped ally you control. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. So basically, you tap the creature with cohort plus another ally, 
and then you get some ability. And in this case, it's a plus one, plus one counter on your team. Uh, another plus one, plus one <laughs> counter card. That's so happy. Uh, but yeah, just to clarify, uh, in case anyone didn't read the articles up on the the Wizard site uh, cohort, the tapping an ally is part of cohort. So it's always going to be an ally uh, and whatever card has cohort. But it, it won't always put plus one, plus one counters on things. So the, the effect yeah. will be different each time. So it's yes. not just another plus one, plus one counter mechanic. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, card is, I guess, okay. Very similar to Outlast. I was talking about that before we started recording. But, yeah, I mean, Seth, I, I, I don't know. These these abilities aren't really – or these mechanics, I should say, aren't really that – uh super exciting the the thing i really dislike about cohort cohort is every time you want to activate it you have to play the guess if this is an ally game with all your other creatures to find one you can tap (laughs) yes actually yes we're going to be talking about that again uh briefly this cast um didn't add that in there that uh yeah some of these eldrazi and allies were we're coming up on that uh that issue again that we found in battle for zendikar Name that ally or Eldrazi. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so those are the two mechanics. They're decent. Uh, Richard, what do you think? uh, Are these worthwhile Uh, mechanics? They sound like limited mechanics, kind of like Outlast, (laughs) where it did something. It affected games of limited, but was too underwhelming for constructed play. Yes. So uh, unless there just happens to be an ally tribal deck, (laughs) and then you might actually see cohort. But support seems pretty watered down. Cohort seems bad, you know, re- relying on having multiple creatures still alive just to use an ability is, is going to be pretty hard unless that ability is just game-breaking. So I don't yeah. foresee these abilities being standard playable, but maybe one or two will sneak in on a couple cards. Yeah. Uh, so moving past that, we wanted to get to a few of these uh, spoilers that we wanted to talk about that are very interesting. And, and like I said, uh, Seth and I will chime in with some uh, financial perspective as well as we go along. So uh, why don't you yeah, start it off? Start us off, Richard. Okay, let's talk about Jory N. Ruin Diver. Uh, she is an Izzet Merfolk. Uh, one generic, blue, red, so three converted mana costs, two, three. Whenever you cast your, spec- your second spell each turn, draw a card. So Merfolk Wizard. A fixed storm type card? What do you guys think? It's definitely one of the better rares that I've seen thus far. Uh... I I don't know if it's as good as it like in standard as it will be in other formats or even if it will be good in other formats. Uh presumably it'll be easier to trigger this card in formats outside of standard with stuff like Jataxi and Probe, you know, what have you. I I think this has a future. I don't know if it's like totally financially relevant. Uh it is a game day uh full art promo which looks very nice. Uh, so those are usually good enough to see play. Uh, just looking at you know past game day full art promos, they're usually playable cards. But again, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be good in standard. It will likely be better in other formats. But right now, uh, yeah, that's that's my take on it. Uh, the the ability is very strong. Unfortunately, it's a legendary creature, so obviously you can't really stack these. But uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, you're getting some good value. You know, three mana for a two-three, a, a viable creature type in Merfolk, and uh, yeah, pretty powerful ability. Seth. Yeah, I think the card's really cool, and I like the design of the card, but kind of like you, Chaz, I'm just not sure where it fits in Standard. Based on the colors, you're looking at some sort of Jeskai deck uh, out of the current decks that we have, and I just don't know how they trigger this card. Like, you play it at three, and then, what, do you try to play two two drops or something on turn four to draw a card? It seems a lot better in formats with Brainstorms and Ponders and Probes, where you should be able to trigger it all the time. So I don't know. I like the card, and I'm glad it exists, and maybe it will get some support in the future, but I don't really see the support for it in Standard right now. Yeah, I mean, that's really where I landed, too. It's it's definitely a lot better when, you, you, when you're looking at it and you have cards in the pool, like like in Modern, like, like Lightning Bolt or Jataxing Proven, and, and, the, and the cards like you mentioned, Seth. But yeah, in Standard, it just doesn't seem as good. Obviously, we don't have the full set in front of us, and we do have... Uh, Shadows over Innistrad on the way, so maybe you know there's a mechanic or something that will make this better. Uh, 
Uh, in the meantime, maybe this sees play alongside uh, Jeskai Ascendancy for a little while, but even that's like a stretch. I, I don't know if all the pieces are there. Yeah, and it only draws one card, even with Jeskai Ascendancy. Like, it only right. triggers on the second card, so if you're going off and casting ten cards in a turn, it's still not going to draw you ten cards. It just right. draws you the one, so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, it's, you know, made, th- there's just not enough tools to look at and say this is uh, very standard-friendly, but there's certainly a lot more cards in other formats to make this more appealing. Richard, what do you think? I think I agree with you guys. Standard, it's going to depend on the number of cheap spells, which, given Wizards' philosophy for standard, that's probably not going to happen. But I think this card has a home in modern. I think a lot of people will try it in Grixis decks, uh, maybe replace Young Pyromancer. You know, doing a Thought Scour into Gurmog Angler draw a card seems like a pretty good deal. Uh, all those Delve cards will make casting two spells a turn pretty easy. So I foresee people trying it. Whether it's good enough, I don't know what you would cut. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Young Pyromancer, but I don't know. But I foresee playing this deck a lot, at, or against this card a lot, at Modern FNM uh, when it's released. I'm sure a lot of people will give it a go in Modern. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, so pretty good uh, overall uh, evaluation here. Uh, solid card, you know, not bad by any means. Oh, but stupidly broken in Commander. <laughs> yes. I can say that one for sure. A lot of yes. people will jam this into their EDH decks. <laughs> yes. So, there, there's a good commander treat for everyone. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we have some other cards that we wanted to talk about, so we're just going to move right along. Uh, Stonehaven Outfitter. It's one generic, one white, so two converted mana costs. It's a 2-2 core artificer ally. Uh, Equipped creatures you control get plus one, plus one. When an equipped creature you control dies, draw a card. So I guess they're trying to fix Stoneforge Mystic, again, having some kind of equipment-themed core that's not too broken. What do you guys think? Uh, that it could be a broken combo with Thopter Foundry and Sword of the Meek. Like, it lets you draw a card as you go through like yeah. your iterations of that combo. So I don't know if it could somehow have a place in Legacy. I guess that's the only format where it's that combo is legal at this point. Uh, the thing is, in Standard, we still don't have any good equipment. So all these Equipments mm-hmm. Matters cards just don't excite me because what are we going to put on these creatures? We don't have anything. So maybe that'll change and we'll get some sweet equipment. But at this point, it's another one of those cards that is cool, but I just don't see the support for it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a catch-22 because it's, it's interesting to see this card get printed and then with all the... Uh, talk and debate about the recent Stoneforge Mystic GP promo and if it's going to come back, if it's not going to come back. Uh, So now you have this card and, you know, if Stoneforge Mystic gets unbanned, you have this card too. And then, you know, do they have to start making better equipment or does this card just, you know, suck and there's never any equipment to support Stonehaven Outfitter? I mean, I don't know. Like, like you said, Seth, there is... There was some talk, I saw that too, about this and the Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meat combo in Legacy, where, yeah, again, that's really the only place it's legal. Uh, I don't know if this really puts an axe on any of the talk about Sword of the Meat coming back. I've read a few uh, modern-related articles about you know Sword of the Meek being the pick of the card that comes off the ban list. I don't know if this kind of axes that now. So, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, equipment stuff doesn't really excite me because there's just never any good equipment. And, yeah, uh, if Stoneforge comes back, then, I mean, they probably still won't print any good equipment because they don't want Stoneforge to be better. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I just – good card. It's interesting. But there was there was a, a card similar to this in the original Zendikar block, uh, Armament Master, which was, like – you know, similar, it had to do with equipment, and that never really went anywhere. Hopefully this has a chance. Uh, it's a little bit better than that, but like you said, Seth, I, you know, you always fall back on there's really no equipment. Hey, at least you can tap it to activate Cohort, so yeah, all, all is you, good in the world. There, there, there it is. <laughs> what about some synergy with Mortar Pod or a Pure Steel Paladin deck? I guess they don't have enough creatures to take advantage of this, but... Uh, there's some cheap living weapon type cards. Do you guys see us doing some other weird combo in modern in any way? It's kind of like the enchantress for equipment, yes. except we have no equipment. <laughs> Maybe this does kind of put the uh, pure steel paladin deck back on the map, but I mean, I don't know. 
I, I don't really know if this uh, can do it on its own, but maybe. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. I mean, there definitely is cards like you said, Richard, like Mortar Pod and stuff like that that make this card a lot better. But yeah, yeah, there might be a combo out there, but I have a hard time imagining whatever combo this is part of being like a tier one modern deck. Maybe it yeah. could be like a deck that floats on the fringes of the format, or maybe spikes a daily on Magic Online or something. But I have a hard time imagining this being enough to make a uh, one of those decks be a tier one, like real competitive deck. Yeah, I, I will. I, you follow Legacy more than me, Richard. Uh, you know, Seth too, uh, but. Uh, you did mention the the Sword of the Meek, like Thopter Foundry deck. Like this is a pretty good inclusion of that deck, I would have to say. Uh, is this, uh, I don't like, know about that enough? though. Like I think that's a it's a win more card if you manage okay. to get your combo online and you're making Thopters at some reasonable rate. Like, do you really need this do nothing card in all other situations yeah. to close out the game? Like you probably already are winning at that point. Yeah. So, so then it, there you go. Play, but I don't know what you would cut to put this in. Yeah. And it does nothing if you don't have your combo online, which is the problem with those decks, right? Right. Like, before you get your combo online, you're, like, kind of treading water and trying to not die. And mm-hmm. this card basically doesn't help you in any way. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Richard. And, like, when you're trying to, you know, build yourself towards uh, winning the game and, and, and assembling your cards to, you know, go off with the combo, this isn't helping you do that either because in the meantime... You know, how many creatures are dying, how many creatures are getting equipped, like, probably not many, if any. So, yeah, uh, interesting card, um, but I don't, the outlook isn't super positive, but not a terrible card, I I should say. Alright, so moving on to Reckless Bushwhacker. Two generic, one red, so three converted mana costs, uh, Goblin Warrior Ally, 2-1, has a surge cost, so one generic and a red. You notice I have to pause every time I see a colorless. <laughs> I'm like, colorless Uh-oh. generic? Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, you may cast a spell for its surge cost if you or a teammate has cast another spell this turn. So we saw that last week uh, with uh, Crush of the Tentacles, I believe. Yes. Uh, so it has haste. Uh, when it enters a battlefield and if its surge cost was paid, other creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain haste until end of turn. What do you guys think? Yeah, this is pretty strong. Uh, I said over Twitter, like, the original Bushwhacker is more often than not better than this card, but it's good to see another Bushwhacker in uh, Zendikar. Uh, In terms of specific modern use, uh, this seems really insane in those uh, green-red aggro lists or zoo aggro lists in modern where you can combo this off a Burning Tree Emissary where you normally can't with you know the reg the regular bushwhacker because of the color restraint, but yeah, I this is a very solid uncommon and pretty strong. Uh, I don't know if it's going to have as much impact as the original uh, Goblin Bushwhacker did during its standard tenure, but you know we'll see. I mean, there's obviously going to be the tools there, and I would be pretty surprised if this ultimately ends up on the sideline, even in standard. Uh, so yeah, really good uncommon. Yeah, I think, ahead, I think it's a standard future depends mostly on the number of one drops. Like if there are enough playable one drops and you can go one drop into dragon fodder into one drop plus this bushwhacker, you're going to win that game on turn three or on turn four, like 90% of the time. Like that's almost impossible to beat in standard because you don't have four mana wraths. You don't even have like a drowned in sorrow type effect. Uh, so I think that if there's enough one-drops, this card is going to be really busted and really frustrating to play against. On the other hand, it's pretty bad off the top in the late game when it's just a 2-1 with haste. I guess haste makes it slightly more relevant because at least you can use it for the surprise, like, become immense team or battle rage combo if you're on, like, turn five or something. Uh, So I think that it has potential to be really powerful and close out a lot of games really quickly, assuming that we keep getting one drops, which we probably will because Wizards has been printing a red one drop pretty much every set. So I would assume that it'll have the support and there will be a really good mono red deck with this as a key part of it. Yeah. yeah, I'm much more optimistic than Seth. They they will print one drops. Mono red or some weenie deck mm, has yeah. always, always been a deck. And even late game off the top, it's still a 2-1 hasty guy. It's not terrible. He's, you know, you'd probably right. still be happy to, to draw him, right? It's better than most of the other stuff in your deck, right, at late game. So I think this will definitely see play in standard. Um, modern, 
possibly, depending on how people want to build their zoo decks. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but what would you cut to get this in? And we concluded Flinthoof Boar, if you're playing that, or maybe some bird spells. Uh, but, you know, the living the dream of Nacoddle into four burning trees, reckless bushwhacker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for waiting for some salt on Twitter. <laughs> this, this, yeah. this, this should just be against the odds, Seth. Just, <laughs> just yeah. mulligan and quit until you get this hand. And then kill <laughs> yeah. For anyone out there, I love Flinthoof Boar, so my, my choice was the... Uh, either Searing Blaze, if let's play those, uh, or the Gore Clan Rampager, uh, as egregious as that might sound. But I, I don't think I could ever part with my, my Flint Hoof Boars, you know? Those are those are real dear to my heart ever since I played with them in Standard. This guy is a warrior, an ally, and a goblin. So you can do <laughs> Mardu Warriors, you can do five-color <laughs> allies, you can do mono-red goblins. This guy goes in every single deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just can't go to elves. Where's the goblin? Where's the half <laughs> half breed goblin elf warrior ally knights? Yeah, <laughs> name that ally. Uh, definitely a segment we're going to be doing here soon uh, because uh, we're, we're back at that point again, Seth. Why is it an ally? Like, answer me that. It's a goblin like plummeting from the sky. It doesn't have anything to do with being an ally. <laughs> you at one point. In, uh, <laughs> Like, you have yeah. to have read this novel that we published three years ago, and it'll all make sense to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The original Bushwhacker was not an ally. It was just a goblin. So but Why is he a warrior, though? Like, what makes someone a warrior? Isn't everyone a warrior? He's, he's, got a, he's got a club with, like, <laughs> stones on it. He has a pointy stick, and that makes him a warrior. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. so, I guess in the goblin, you know, in the goblin society, you're a warrior if you like hold a weapon. I bet you wizards has like a D6 with like <laughs> tribal names on it, and they just roll it whenever they're uh, trying to come up with a card. I, I would not be surprised. I swear they have like a an ally coin, and they flip it, and if it's heads, it's an ally. If it's tails, <laughs> it's just a normal creature type. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the same with the Eldrazi too. Like. uh they flip a coin, it gets a decent name. If not, it gets a generic name. <laughs> and they have a, they have a coin for if it's a technical a tentacled monster, and that one always comes up heads because they all look exactly the same. Yes. So uh, speaking of tentacled things, uh, spatial contortion. Uh, it's one colorless, one generic. Okay, so two converted mana costs. Instant. Uh, target creature gets plus three, minus three until end of turn. Yeah. And the uh, art is an elf, which is getting its arms ripped off or something, which looks like tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really weird and intriguing art, uh, I must say. It looks pretty cool. But this is definitely a card. Um, I know I said Bushwhacker was one of the better cards. Uh, this is definitely one of them, too. Both uncommon. What do you know? Uh, but yeah, this is a pretty big card to look at and to have spoiled because this is essentially uh this is essentially a lightning strike that any deck can play uh at this point so and, and it gets around uh protection so it might even have some additional use in other formats primarily modern but yeah this is a really big card and it's a big printing because you know, standard has not had that. You know, there's been an absence of that two color removal, like two mana removal spell, and this is it. And I know Seth. You know, specifically, we've talked about uh, last cast, like financial stuff and rotation stuff. Uh, we talked about the battle lands, and we also talked about the pain lands. And I know that that has been getting some more discussion as we've gone along. I think this is definitely a good case to maybe start owning some pain lands going forward because uh, I think every deck is going to want to be able to play this card. Well, every like green or blue deck, maybe, maybe some other color decks, but I think if you're black or white, you have options that are yeah. just as good or maybe even better than this. But if you're a mono blue or a mono green deck or a blue green deck, then this card is huge and standard because you don't get access to this very op often. Like when was the last time dismember probably was the last time you could play yeah. a mono blue deck and have this level of removal. 
so I, but I think you're right about the painlands. They are definitely the easiest way and the most efficient way because they can still add colored mana when you need it to, to add colorless mana to your mana pool. So it's really interesting, actually. Do you think there's going to be decks that are going to play, or I know there will be decks. Are there going to be many decks or most decks that are going to play painlands over the battle for Zendikar duels just because they want access to colorless mana? I don't know if there's going to be many decks right now going into April, but I would assume after that when, you know, you drop the fetch lands and you're basically left with whatever Innistrad gives us, if it even gives us any anything, and then you have the battle lands and the pain lands. So I think, yeah, I think peop- I think players are going to want to, I don't know if play them over the, the battle lands, but definitely in tandem because... Like you said, Seth, I mean, they're the most efficient way to add colorless mana and also be able to add other colored uh, colored mana to your mana pool without really having to, you know, go, you know, bend over backwards to try and, you know, fit in these wastelands or whatever, uh, whatever else, uh, the other lands that were also spoiled. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be a thing right away, but that's this is mostly looking towards April uh, more so than now because I think it'll most likely stay status quo. Obviously, people are going to want to still play their fetch lands, their you know their four color, five color good stuff decks with battle lands and fetch lands. But so I, I don't know. It might be a little hard right now because then all of a sudden you have pain lands and you want to like squeeze in spatial contortion into some of these lists. I don't know if that's really viable, right? Or, you know, something, it'll likely be viable, but I don't know if it's just something that people are going to be wanting to do right now. So the, this is mostly like April. So the second part of that question for both of you is then, does that mean that all of these flashy colorless cards are just not going to see play until April because people aren't going to have colorless sources in their deck because fetching for BFC duels is so powerful? I think I that's a g- very good question. I'm leaning towards, yeah, I mean, I don't see a real... I mean, we don't have any amazing colorless card right now. I mean, we have a couple, like Sea Seagate Wreckage, like the, the Library Land, maybe that is good enough. I don't know. But, yeah, I would have to say uh, I don't know if any of these colorless uh, cards are enough incentive right now to force players to change what they're doing. I still think fetches and battlelands are very powerful. I don't know. What do you think, Richard? Uh, I think we'll see a lot of play from these colorless cards. I think we've seen enough uh, utility, like Seagate Wreckage. Um, what's the other land? Mirror Pool. There are a lot of powerful cards that produce colorless mana and have some upside that people want to play. So I think your choice will be, do you want to run a three-color deck, or do you want to want run a two-color deck plus colorless, or maybe even a one-color deck plus colorless? Uh, so it's, it's it's as if colorless is a new color now, and you know how do you want to build your mana base, and what cards do you want to include from which colors? So I I think we will see colorless cards being played, uh, you know, as soon as a set is released, and obviously they get a lot stronger uh, at rotation when uh, you have less of a choice. But I think we'll we'll see play right off the bat. Uh, it's interesting. On a related note, it's pretty exciting that we're seeing so many of these colorless lands. There might be potential to play a mono brown deck, if uh, to use the old <laughs> term, in in standard. Like you got Seagate yeah. package, this uh, ruins of Orin Reef. You got the Mirror Pool. You have Waste and Crumbling Vestige. You could literally play all colorless lands and potentially all colorless spells. Now that we're seeing like the colorless removal spell and build an all-colorless deck, which it probably won't be good, but the idea of that's pretty cool. So so yeah. here, here, here's my regret. You don't, remember when you did the budget Aldrazi aggro deck? That's basically <laughs> a colorless deck, except it has colored mana. Yeah. What they really needed to do is make those Devoid creaters be hybrid colorless colored. Ooh. So it'd be hybrid mana, colorless slash red, and you could pay for it with either colorless mm. or red. Yeah, and, because and then now, you can have this yeah, really yeah. sweet devoid colorless deck, and everything would be on curve and it'd be sweet. But as of right now, if you wanted to play all waste or colorless mana producers, you couldn't play, you know, wasteland strangler or whatever. Like you couldn't play those cards, which is very awkward. Yeah, it is. It, it is very awkward, and one of the kind of issues we had when they. Uh, well, when the leaks happened and we kind of saw this colorless mana and then when they finally spoiled it, you know, we, we had that, we, we asked a lot of questions like, well, now you have 
colored Eldrazi, you have generic Eldrazi, colorless Eldrazi, and they don't all play well together because, you know, like you just said, you can't play like an all waste deck and then play like uh, the like Wasteland Strangler or any of those like the Forerunner of Slaughter or any of those cards because it's just now you have to like start adding all these colors in there. Uh, so it's going to be kind of hard to do that. Um, yeah, Richard, you, you brought up a good point. I, I Yeah, maybe they will see play right off the bat. I don't know, Seth, how this will affect things right away, uh, but I, I would go out on a limb and still say that uh, picking up cheap pain lands is probably a good idea. Yeah, I agree with you. And if, for some reason, Richard happens to be wrong and these cards kind of simmer and don't see play right away, yeah. they might become good potential targets for rotation. Like, if, if some of these, yes. like, Endbringer and this Mimic Eldrazi and some of these colorless lands, they could drop pretty low if they don't see immediate play, and then they could all of a sudden be Tier 1 standard cards come April. So I keep an eye on that as well. Yes, yes, you make a very good point. Um, It's <laughs> Just a just a quick an aside. Uh, it's funny you said Richard like the all uh, colorless deck, both of you, and we, we have spatial contortion and uh, devoid still does not protect against any of the removal <laughs> that they print. So devoid is like literally still like there's no upside to having devoid. Well, you spatial can, you contortion can, still kills. You them. can use it with uh, ruins of Orin Reef. Put a plus one plus one counter oh, on target so, colorless creature. Oh, so great. It's <laughs> like, that works with I, yeah, that's like such a great. I can't wait. Such a reason to have Devoid. <laughs> I just want to point out that if I'm wrong and or if if you guys are right and uh, no one plays colorless cards, the Wizards would have failed like two sets in a row, and that would have been that would be really bad. Like it's literally half the set is this new mana symbol, colorless mm-hmm. matters. All these cards have colorless mana symbols, and if no one plays them for the first X months of release, then it's basically Battle for Zendikar all over again, where standard has not changed and everything is status quo, and it's another stale standard for a long time. So to, to hopefully be... this doesn't happen. Hopefully this actually works and people actually play this new colorless stuff. To be fair to Wizards, though, they the deck is kind of stacked against them because it's a small set, which usually, like, a small set with no rotation doesn't shake up standard that much, typically anyway. And we still have the fetch lands and all these crazy powerful cons block cards. So I would be surprised if they did see play. And I think Wizards has to realize that. Like that's, I mean, you can't print a block on the power level of cons block and then follow it up with all this weird new stuff that doesn't synergize with a really powerful block and just expect the the small set that they put out in winter with all these colorless cards to suddenly be the new hot thing in standard. Like I don't. I don't so know what clearly the only solution is ten new fetch lands and ten new shock lands to pair the existing <laughs> colors with colorless. <laughs> yeah, clearly that's the only option here. <laughs> we need colorless fetch lands. Colorless fetch lands. Colorless shock lands. We have colorless fetch lands, guys. We have terramorphic expanse. Well, but it can't. Wait, could that fetch waste? <laughs> I. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, waste is a basic land, no? So I think it, I think it could. I think Terramorphic just says find a basic land, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it. Sh- I mean, it should be able to. If we're wrong, obviously we'll get plenty of comments. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, because it's, it's I, basic versus basic land. Like, why, why does it not count towards domain? <laughs> like, someone get a judge here. Just, the judge is still on strike. Because <laughs> I think like, domain. Why, is, why does waste not count towards domain? And why, I think why would it count domain has to do with. Color, no? Oh, I is think it color? I think domain domain counts basic land types and that yeah. this doesn't have a Wait, type. Right, right. It's just a basic land. Like how it says like whatever what does it say? Basic land swamp? Oh, it, does say, it does say yeah, 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 you're right. It should say basic lands and then dash waste for it to count towards yes. right. So it's not the wastes don't have a land type and domain counts land types. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's it. Thoroughly confused, but I think we got it. I think we figured <laughs> we, out we how got to play there. this magic game. Yeah, we got there. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> um, yeah, was there anything else we wanted to touch on quickly? Do we want to talk about Endbringer or no? Yeah, let's let's briefly talk about Endbringer. Uh, so we wanted to talk about this because uh, it is a pretty good card for its converted mana cost. It's doing a lot of wait, different wait, I need things. need to explain the card. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> five generic, one colorless, so six converted mana cost, five, five. Uh, it's an Eldrazi. Untap Endbringer during each other player's untap step. Uh, Endbringer deals one damage to target creature or player. Uh, pay one colorless and tap it. 
Target creature can't attack or block this turn. Uh, pay two colorless and tap it, draw a card. Yeah, so like uh, so I was just saying... Just to be clear, it untaps yeah. during every other player's turn and your turn yep. as well. So a lot of people yep. think it only untaps during other players, but it untaps during yours as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's doing a lot of different things, a lot of good things as well. I mean, it can it can ping, it can stop uh, attacks or blockers, and it can draw cards. All pretty good stuff to be doing. Uh, at six mana, it's kind of contending with specific cards like uh, Oblivion Sower, but... I think it could really uh, take a few slots away from uh, like a car like Oblivion Sower because it does do a lot of different things, like I was saying, and kind of needs to be dealt with uh, immediately uh, unless uh, you want to kind of be buried in card advantage. So that's my take on it. I don't know. It's a stretch to say outside of anything other than standard because you're looking at a six drop in Warm Coil Engine, so I don't know... Like that's really kind of the bar, so I don't I don't think this really meets that. But definitely good enough for standard, I think. It's it's pretty good for what you're paying for. Yeah, and uh, I know I'm just starting to learn commander, but this seems really busted in a format where you have four players, so yeah, you get to untap yeah. it like four times every turn, basically. So you get to do a lot of stuff with this card because of that untap every player's uh, untap step ability. Yeah. So it seems yeah. built for multiplayer, but I think it could see play in standard if there's a deck that can afford that much color colorless mana. The problem is it's a six mana do nothing card. Uh, you know, even if uh, even though I'm capturing other players' turns, like if you cast it and you pass a turn and they kill it, then you just wasted six mana. So it kind of suffers from that vanilla creature problem. But if it manages to live, then you're in a pretty good position. Uh, so I can see it being played in maybe Control Mirrors as that gotcha sideboard card. Once they side out all their removal, you throw this in, and then it basically wins you the game. But as a normal card, I don't know. It's still six mana for a card that does nothing. You need it to untap, and it doesn't really protect itself in any way. Uh, but EDH, this card will be pretty broken. Uh, so expect to see colorless commanders and this card being played. Yeah. I think that's yeah, it for the, the spoilers you wanted to talk about. Certainly is. Uh, there's definitely more out there, but that's kind of the ones that we wanted to talk about. Uh, obviously, there's going to be more on the way. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's overall, I mean, just from what I'm looking at, it's better than Battle for Zendikar, at least. I don't know if that's the conclusion you're coming to yet, Seth or Richard, but uh, for me, like, when I look at this, yeah, Cohort and Support are kind of uh, bad, but um, overall, I think there's there's some some interesting cars, and it definitely seems like it's better than Battle for Zendikar. I agree with you, but it also disappoints me that the set is yes. just such an anti-synergy with Battle for Zendikar. Yeah, it feels so yeah. weird to have them be part of the same block, just because they, like some of the stuff we've been talking about with the colorless colored creatures and so on, they just, the sets don't work that well together, which is going to be really weird and limited. Uh, in specific, when you're trying to build these decks out of the packs you open, it's almost like it's from two different blocks. Like, the, the difference between Battle for Zendikar and Oath for the Gatewatch is so severe. Just before we get to the fish mail um, and and wrap things up, uh, just a little rant here. So here we are again. We don't know, like, why is something an ally and something else isn't? There's, like, so much generic, like this is randomly an ally, uh, like, creatures in this set again. Seth, I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, before the cast, so I'm assuming you have some, some thoughts on that. And it's kind of getting a little... I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't even know if some of these Eldrazi's are rares or uncommons or something like that. They all really look the same after a while, and I don't know if that was really, like, an art failure or just... You know, how many times can you make, like, a tentacle monster, like, these weird, like, squid-like creatures uh, all different after a while? Like, even with different uh, broods, like, some being Kozilek brood, some being uh, Ulamog brood, but after a while, they still all look the same. And I just have a hard time sometimes just seeing, like, oh, that's a rare, like, oh, okay, six, seven, eight mana Eldrazi after a while just all blend together and it's just hard to, you know, differentiate what's what. And it just leads to some, like, not very exciting cards and uninspiring stuff. I don't know. I think part of it is there's just so many Eldrazi. Like, in the old set, yeah. there was, like, a such a small handful that it was probably easier to make them all look distinctive and different. Yes. 
But now we have like 40 Eldrazian standard or something, and maybe there's just so many different ways you can draw an Eldrazi. Yeah. <laughs> like even it was the same like when we were talking about dragons of Tarkir, and they were like saying there's going to be a ton of dragons in the set, but it still wasn't like to the point where it was still enough variation within all the dragons and dragons of Tarkir that you didn't get like lost sometimes. But I think that they both are suffering because it's again, like when you jam pack, like a lot of these, like even dragons after a while, it's like, all right, like I don't even know what's rare and uncommon anymore. Uh, but, but these specifically, uh, because they're just very generic, no pun intended, like, they're colorless, they're just, like, squid tentacle monsters, and, like, dragons at least, like, you can put in some kind of character and, 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 and a little bit better uh, composition. These are just, like, here's a, here's a, like, tentacle monster, here's another tentacle monster, and, like, now they're all, like, in the same set, and some are rare, some are uncommon, some are commons, and, you know, any one of them can, can have the, the name. Deep Fathom Skulker is a, is a rare, but that could easily be, like, the art or name of Walker of the Waste or something like that. Like, they're literally all interchangeable. I think that's, like, a pretty big design failure. I don't know if that's leaning towards more art or just stylistic and, uh, uh, you know, set identity failure, but I- I'm getting that a lot with this uh, these last two sets. I think you're right, but to be fair to Wizards, uh, when we all brought this complaint up with Battle for Zendikar, Oath was probably done already. Well, yeah. So they didn't yeah. really have any time to address these concerns, uh, so we're probably just, you know, these are, the, these are the same decisions that were made during Battle for Zendikar, so we're seeing them again in Oath. Right. But hopefully a couple sets down the line, when they do actually have a chance to respond to feedback, uh, we see some variation. Yeah. But I think it's like you said, like, because the Eldrazi are all colorless. There's not a lot to differentiate them. With dragons, they could make some dragons more green or more red or more black, but right. since they're all colorless, you can't really differentiate them, and you basically get these weird tentacle blobs uh, for every single card. Yeah. Maybe we should have a contest. I'll just put, like, 12 Eldrazi's up. <laughs> and, uh, you, gotta, you gotta actually put the name to it and see who could actually do it, because looking at Endbringer, Deep Fathom Skulker, Dread Defiler, Walker of the Waste, they all look the same. Yeah, like, literally. They all look very similar. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, like, even Worldbreaker, and that's a mythic, but that could be, like, any just any other Eldrazi. And uh, it just sucks because only the big three, like Kozilek, Ulamog, and um, Emrakul, were basically the, even before, the only distinctive Eldrazi. And now, like, you know, all their brood is just, like, all the same stuff, and you really just can't differentiate, like you said, uh, Richard. I'm waiting for the blue Aldrazi ally that got mind controlled by Jace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for that one. <laughs> um, before we wrap things up and answer this fish mail, uh, so we're pretty well into pre-order season, uh, Seth, and we, we talked about a few of these spoilers. Is there anything jumping out at you thus far, uh, just like as a, from a financial perspective? I know we mentioned the the Painlands as kind of a residual effect from, from all this. And I, I still think that's pr- a pretty strong play. Uh, so I, I don't know, like there's not really anything jumping out at me other than maybe like we have a situation where Nissa, like one of the premier planeswalkers is, uh, you know, undervalued like Gideon sort of was uh, in the, in the beginning and suddenly jumps up to like $35 just because it's like the only card worth, you know, worth a damn in the set. Yeah, I think that that's basically where I'm at, too. Out of all the cards that are officially spoiled at this point, Nissa would be the one that's probably has the most potential. But even that's, I don't know if the odds are in favor of it spiking up to 30 bucks or something. Mostly because, like we talked about last week, there's no standard pro tour for this set. Like, that's what really made Gideon take off. Yeah. Was when it hit it big and was by far the most played card at Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar, Nissa isn't going to do that at a modern Pro Tour. That's just oh. not happening. Nissa can actually see play in modern, though, so she actually has a chance of showing up on camera, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I guess there's, a, there's a chance, but she's not going to be the the second most played car, card behind right. Chase or something like that, where she's like the talk of the whole tournament. Yeah, I, I, I'm leaning towards what Seth's saying. And, and like, I mean, obviously we're going to have a Pro Tour soon. Uh, that is standard, and these cards will be there, uh, mm-hmm. along with probably, uh, you know, even if we're just talking about Shadows of Innistrad at that point. Uh, there is a chance that at somewhere down the line, 
especially this set because it might not be as widely opened, you know, like like Battle for Zendikar was, and then a frantic search for all these uh, really good expeditions. There's the kind of compounded, uh, not as good expeditions as Battle for Zendikar. It's a smaller set, so just historically they don't get opened as much. And there's you know, not a lot of value to be thrown around when, you know, you're looking at some of these rares and, you know, we saw all the mythics already, uh, unfortunately, because of the leaks, uh, fortunate for us anyway, but uh, to look at them and evaluate them. But, you know, just not a lot of stuff is standing out. So I, I'm, I'm leaning towards there could be that situation again where one or like a specific few cards just soak up all the value. Yeah, I think I'm looking at it from a more meta perspective that I kind of yes. mentioned before. But what I see happening uh, potentially with this set is the cards got spoiled early, which diminishes this pre-order hype. So by the time we actually start selling the cards and we have pre-release, uh, it's not going to have the same hype as a normal set. We have a modern Pro Tour, and we have a standard that's still going to be overshadowed by Cons Block. So as I mentioned before, I'm looking for these cards to kind of fly under the radar and then suddenly be really played when we hit rotation in April. So my plan for this set is to kind of sit back and wait for prices to drop over the first couple months and then hopefully get in on them heavily just before spoilers for Shadow over Innistrad start and we're moving towards like these cards suddenly being playable when Cons Block leaves the format. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's the best and safest way to because you don't you don't lose anything if you don't put anything out either so that's that's still a win um you know just looking at some pre-order prices none of them are really truly attractive i mean i i guess the goblin dark dwellers i mean obviously it was bumped up but you know we talked about that last cast where 199 you're not really losing that much value uh i don't know if the same could be said like Nissa at 15 bucks can easily come down. And, you know, that is a little bit more upfront to uh, purchase, even if you're playing, like going to play with them, uh, when you have uh, Planeswalkers like Kiora that come all the way down to like four bucks. I don't know if that's going to, that, that's probably not going to happen. I don't see, uh, you know, Nissa coming down that much, but it'll be a significant enough. Um, so a question for you guys. Say I wanted Nissa, maybe two copies of Nissa for my modern Abzan deck. When okay. should I pick her up? Um, I mean, at this point, see, like, you're kind of, you, it, it's weird again, because, like, if I'm leaning towards the Gideon, uh, scenario, even Gideon, I guess, didn't really spike until, like, that Pro Tour, right, Seth? Like, it, it did increase during pre-order, but it didn't really take off until it was, like, really played in the Pro Tour. There's nothing sparking, uh, like, a huge price increase from any of these cards, so, I mean, I guess it would just be better just to wait. And before April comes, uh, when all of these cards are going to be reevaluated and looked at again, Richard. There's, so there's, sometime before April, at least. There's actually not that many standard events between now and rotation. Like, I pointed yeah. this out a few weeks ago, and there were like six. And I think at least one and maybe two of them have happened. So this is just kind of a dead time for a standard. So cards like Nissa aren't going to get that many opportunities to, even at the SCG level or GP level, to, like, spike this tournament and be all over the top eight and jump in price. Like, there's just not that many opportunities for it because of how the schedule set up this year. But my the way I view this equation, Richard, is how much is it worth it for you to be able to play Abzan over the next few months? Obviously, the best financial decision, if you just want to get the cheapest price, is to wait, like Chaz said. But you're not you might lose ten, fifteen bucks if you buy two copies of Nissa and she drops down to ten bucks a piece. Is it worth it for you to spend ten or fifteen bucks to get three extra months out of playing Nissa? in your modern Abzan deck instead of waiting three months and not having this in there. If it's worth that 15 bucks for the enjoyment and entertainment you get out of it, go ahead and do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. really the, the crux of it. In actuality, I'm going to buy it right away. <laughs> like close <laughs> to release, but I was just trying to ask for a purely financial perspective, but it sounds like you guys are leaning towards waiting for uh, a round rotation. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, you want to time it, like, where it's before that, because once, you know, the hype kind of starts building back up again, and everyone's sort of reevaluating these cards, because they'll be good at rotation, or, you know, they're, they're going to be in the spotlight again, uh, you kind of want to time it so you're not in that frenzy again. Yeah, but, I want to... I mean, 
Yeah, go ahead. I want to be buying them just before spoilers for Shadows over Innistrad start. So not when the set releases and we have rotation, probably a month before that or so is going to be the best time before, like Chaz said, the hype starts picking up and people start buying cards looking towards rotation like we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'm really high on Nista now. I know in last cast, we're like, eh, but I'm like, this card is really broken if... uh, if something happens to uh, combo decks, we'll have to see during the the bannings. But if combo decks get toned toned down a bit, uh, her minus two is really good with lingering souls and breaking goyf mirrors and things like that for three mana. So I'm really high on her. Just to throw it in there, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna play her now and just to see what happens. You're, you're killing me, man. <laughs> Why uh, is it an evolving game? I can change my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> isn't, yeah. isn't she basically just a planeswalker with support? When you really think about it, <laughs> yeah, but you don't. You can you can have it. Like you don't have to target any one of them. Like I, you don't have to have like any like five creatures for it to work. I think you should save your money, Richard, and just buy a couple copies of Gladeheart Calvary instead, and go <laughs> and go with that. Just hey, just I'm buy pay, like five hundred dollars uh, on Tarmogoyf or whatever I spent. <laughs> I could pay fifteen dollars for Nissa to support my Tarmogoyf. Okay? Try uh try uh what's the green one Gaia's Anthem and see if like that's that's working for you. I'm gonna try travel preps. Yeah, <laughs> travel, souls, travel preps in modern. We'll do it. <laughs> that card was brutal and limited. Hey, breaking uh, the goyf the four or five mirror in modern is very important when you're trying to do fair things. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, you're absolutely right, Richard. It is. Um, but I don't know what would you cut for Nissa and Abzan. Maybe well, I cut uh, I cut the fourth Lily. I don't like the fourth Lily. Okay. And there's usually like one or two flex slots which you can play around yeah. with. Uh, you can cut the fourth Lingering Souls, or if you're trying to go all in, you keep all four Lingering Souls. But I think Lingering Souls plus breaking the mirror. Other people do it with Noble Hierarch. Yeah, uh, that's also an option. But Nissa makes plant tokens to chump block Tarmogoyf. So. <laughs> So I don't and, know. And, I think, I think she has a chance. Tazic, it's enough for me to try. How about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether she's good or not, who knows? Maybe in two weeks you'll see a post for me trying to sell Nissa's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I now, will say uh, it, it's it's definitely interesting to see a card like Nissa under twenty dollars for pre-order. I will just say that. Now, be honest, Richard. Did you cut that fourth Liliana because it wasn't good or because you loaned it to me and I haven't given it back to you yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You still have, my, you have like, my entire Moto collection right there. <laughs> it's just really hard to play with multiple Lilies because I, I play one, discard one Lily to the other, and that turns out to be the wrong move. So, like, I just avoid this process and just play three. <laughs> avoid these hard decisions of whether you should discard Lily to Lily or not. <laughs> yeah. Tough decisions. Uh, we do have a fish mail. Let's get to that, and then we can wrap things up. All right. This comes from Martin Nielsen. Uh, I have a question regarding Vintage on Magic Online. I used to play Vintage in paper back in the 90s, but don't own power anymore. Uh, I know a lot has changed, but I like to buy back into Vintage on Magic Online, and it seems like a lot of fun. Uh, so my question would be about buying power, because I primarily own most of the other stuff. Is it a good time to buy power on Magic Online? Uh, could there be a potential price hike in the future, or is a reprint more likely? Uh, so Martin wants to know if he should buy power on Magic Online. Hmm. Hmm. Well, my answer to that would be, I don't think it's super likely that we get a actual reprint of power. Like, there, I don't think there's going to be a Vintage Masters 2 with more power in it in the near future. But what you got to be aware of is they do do a lot of flashback drafts. So if they ever decide, oh, we're going to, like, run Cube for three weeks and the payout for Cube is going to be Vintage Master packs and run Vintage Masters flashback alongside of it, that can do a lot to depress the price of these cards. Uh, so, But that's just a risk that you can't avoid. We don't have any way of knowing when Wizards is going to run flashbacks or for how many weeks they're going to go. I mean, we kind of do in this upcoming year because they announced a bunch of them. But still, there's, there's, they could take and throw Vintage Masters flashbacks up with a week's notice anytime they wanted to. But overall, I think it's a good time. The format has honestly been picking up a bit of steam because they started doing these big monthly Win Power 9 tournaments. And that has brought up prices a little bit for vintage cards and definitely driven a lot more interest in the format where I've heard people talking about the format more 
and heard people buying into the format more. And honestly, I'm kind of in the same place as you are, and I'm considering buying the rest of the Power 9 that I need to start playing Vintage on Magic Online. And I think that if I decide to take the plunge and do it, I'm probably going to do it in the near future. I think that this is a fine time to go ahead and buy those cards. Yeah, I mean, aren't you already winning just by getting in on MTGO anyway? I mean, you're paying, like, what, like, a third of what you'd normally be paying? Because I, I don't know if it was... A and third, correct me if I'm... A tenth? Maybe. Yeah, a, a, a lot less. Yeah, we'll just say... Yeah, um, it's a lot less. A lot less. I was just throwing out arbitrary. But I, I just... I, it was get, I was getting into the point and saying, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, Seth, you tweeted out, like, a legacy deck, and you're saying... And you said something about, like... You you paid like three hundred dollars for a legacy deck on Moto when normally it would have been like fifteen hundred or something like that. Um, so you're already winning at that point, and that's yeah. just legacy. It's um, honestly Magic Online is a really good place to play Eternal formats uh, for a few reasons. Uh, you get to play against good competition. You have tournaments and queues firing regularly. And it's incredibly cheap. The deck I played this week on Against the Odds, I finally got to play Legacy Stasis somehow, which is super exciting. But the deck, I paid 435 tickets is what the value of the deck was on Magic Online. In paper, it was like 4500 bucks. So I paid one-tenth of the price of the deck to be able to play on Magic Online. And I just looked it up. You can buy a complete set of Power 9, all nine cards, for $432 on Magic Online. So it is... It's not that expensive, really. Like, standard decks are going for more than that on Magic Online, thanks to Jason Gideon and some of those cards. So it is a really a fine time to buy into Vintage, if that's the format you want to play a lot. It's, it's comparable to buying a Tier 1 standard deck at the moment. Yeah, I would definitely do it. Uh, the only thing that's holding me back from doing it right now, this exact moment, is I'm so scared of the slippery slope, where next week I'm convincing myself to buy a Black Lotus in real life. <laughs> because I know that's going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you don't need a full set of power, right? You only need a couple pieces of power for your deck. And, you know, that's the cost of, like, a Jace, 1.5 Jaces or something. So it's not that much uh, compared to how much fun you'll have playing Vintage, especially if you're one of those people that used to play Vintage. Uh, you get all that nostalgia and everything. Uh, so I think... It's probably worth just buying right now. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's worth trying to squeeze out 10 ticks here or there. Uh, you'll probably make up way more in fun and value in the meantime. So uh, I would definitely do it right now. And I still might do it right now. I really want to play Vintage. I, I really, really like the idea of Vintage, but uh, I'm just scared of Slippery Slope. Magic's already expensive enough. I don't, I don't need it to get more expensive. <laughs> I, I know we're going to take and do a whole podcast at some point about Legacy we've been talking about, but I really think that the future of Eternal formats like Vintage and Legacy is on Magic Online. Like, I think that that yeah. is going to be the most common way for people to play these formats. It already is with Vintage. At this point, I think more Vintage is played on Magic Online than it is in paper, and I think it's heading that direction with Legacy too. So if you want to keep playing those formats, Magic Online is the place to go. Yeah, I, I agree. Without, you know, getting too much into it, like like Seth said and alluded to, uh, we're going to talk about all that. Uh, we had a great conversation via Twitter, uh, just kind of extending from all the stuff that you put out there, Seth, uh, in recent, uh, you know, in, in the recent uh, articles that you've made. They're probably less recent now, but a while back that you made about um, <laughs> legacy and, and not having the reserve list and stuff like that. So short of uh, doing something drastic in paper like we discussed and like we will discuss in a future cast to greater lengths. You're right. I, I do think the future is on MTGO. Um, yeah, again, without having to drastically alter uh, the format in paper, which, which might be where uh, things are headed if they really wanted to save it, if they really cared. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's definitely true. So, uh, we'll talk about it more in coming yeah. weeks and do a uh, do a whole legacy special or at least a segment on legacy. So. Yes, yes. Uh, greatly looking forward to that. Um, in the meantime, I think we covered everything, right? Uh, we got the fish mail. We talked spoilers. Uh, talked a little bit of finance stuff. Uh, anything else out the door? Um, quick moto announcement. Okay. When this goes up, we will have started 2016, the year of the flashbacks this week. 
8th edition drafts will be on Magic Online, and then there will be a new flashback every week after that. So if you want to, uh, if you have some free time and want to draft some really weird older formats that we, you maybe have never drafted before in your life, check out Magic Online. That's another one of the benefits of Magic Online is you get to play formats that you would never get to play. The price is actually cheap. It's only 10 bucks to draft, and they are not Phantom Drafts, so you actually keep the card. So they're a really good value, actually, if you're interested in playing some limited in these older formats. Sweet. Yeah, sounds like a great time uh, for anyone interested in that. Uh, I will probably just be sticking to <laughs> budget stuff. But uh, yeah, no, uh, drafting older sets is really fun, uh, especially if you've never drafted uh, X set before. Uh, I've been around a long time, so luckily I've, I've had those experiences. Some of them I will definitely not want to relive, <laughs> but uh, some of them are definitely enticing for sure. And I, I am looking forward. The flashback stuff is really awesome, really awesome. Uh, so yeah, uh, any kind of final thoughts, final questions, Richard? Got nothing. All right. Waiting for more spoilers. Uh, this, yeah, yeah, more spoilers. Uh, be on the lookout for that, and we will see you all next time. This is the crew signing out.